lot still talking, but it is time to get started. So uh, let's get started. But if you don't mind, look in your worship guide, and um, you can see there are several different announcements. And um, I'm thinking my teachers would have brought a paddle out if I kept talking. So. No. If you look at the worship guide, there's a couple of announcements. One, the psalm and prayer is continuing for the next couple of weeks through August on Wednesday mornings. And then um, there's a, a pictorial directory. They're taking pictures outside if you just go right through these doors. And uh, we would love for you to get your pictures made. It's a way for us to know each other, but it's also a way for us to pray for one another through the pictorial directory. And so I hope that you'll do that. And if you haven't done it, please. Kim and I have yet to done it yet, so we, we have to do it ourselves. And so... Um, and then you can see um, a couple other things about a W meeting coming up and also um, the promotion Sunday. So we're glad you're here. Why don't you stand up and greet everybody let them know you're glad they're here. All right. Thank you so much. You can be seated. It really is good to see you, and I just want to welcome you. Um, well, he was here, Dallas. Where's Dallas? He came in. There he is. He's coming in. Dallas Martin is back with us, and he's. it is great to see Dallas. He grew up here, and been through some struggles, but coming out on top, right? And so we're proud of you, man. We're, we're glad you're here. But let's, um, let's get started. Short video. We showed you last week about what happened in um, Tanzania. There's also a video I want you to see what happened in Ecuador. Um, you're going to notice a lot of people you may not recognize this because our team joined with another team. So there's a lot of different people in it, but just kind of give you a quick glimpse of what you prayed for and how it turned out. And then after that, we'll do our call to worship. So let's look at this screen real quick. So Ecuador 2023, this has been probably the most amazing trip we've ever had, even though it's been a little bit hard on some days. But at 
heart because the people of Ecuador are my heart. As we are able to bring hope, love, and the gospel of Jesus Christ um, to the people of Ecuador. We come here two purposes. One, to give y'all clean drinking water. Two, to come here to give you living water. We're here to tell you about Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you a little story. Jesus died. Tim God, there we go. We just wanted you to get a little glimpse of what happened in that trip as well. And then hopefully we'll see one quickly or from somewhere along the line from Guatemala. But thank you for your prayers and for your support of our different mission trips and different teams that go out. Um, thank you for that. Speaking of that, Lake Miner is back. And um, he's been in Tanzania for two months and he just got back today. He was in the first service. And so I um, look forward to hearing more from him but we're glad you're here. And um, our call to worship this morning comes out of the book of Romans. And I hope you'll read it out loud with me. Let's read it loud. Our, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen this is the word of the lord speak to god speaking of the word of the lord paul told us to devote ourselves to the public reading of scripture and we've been doing that making our way through each book of or at least sections of books from each of the old testament and new testament books and we've come to the book of daniel and so who's got our scripture here he comes josh come read our scripture Good morning. Today our scripture is from Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, 
which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord. Um, this song um, is our testimony. When you come to Christ, maybe you were following the ways of the world and trying to find satisfaction in the world. But when we come to Christ, we are his child. We are his son. We are his daughter. And we are a child of the most high God. We're a child of love.
get you going this morning, I don't know what will. So we are a child of the Most High God, and that is something to celebrate today. Always by my 
be seated, but let's, let's pray together. Father, we come before you and praise you. We do want your name to be lifted higher. We think of how Jesus taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name. And God, we pray that uh, your name would be hallowed in this room as it has been in song. And I just pray that it would be hallowed even as I preach, as I read scripture, even now as we pray. But not just in the preaching of your word, but in the hearing of your word. May we hallow your name with an eagerness to hear what you have to say and to obey what you have to, to call us to do. We come before you, Lord, and just confess that even as I read this morning, that you are our shepherd. And because you're our shepherd, we, we shall not want. God, I thank you that you are everything we need. Everything. Forgive us when we listen to the lies of the world and think we need something outside of you for satisfaction. Because you're the one that leads us. You're the one that guides us. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You restore our soul. You lead us in the path of righteousness for your own namesake. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we, we don't have to fear for you're with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. I thank you, Father, that you're our shepherd, that you go before us. And even in the valley, you go with us. But I also think that you, thank you that you're a host. Not just a shepherd, but a host. You, you prepare a table before us even in the presence of our enemies. You, you anoint our head with oil. Our cup overflows. We're yours. You anoint us with the, the oil of your gladness and the oil of your spirit, and we praise you. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. And we will dwell in your house forever. But I thank you, Father, that we don't just dwell in the sweet by and by. We get to be in your presence now, to walk in you and to, as sheep, follow you. You know every need in this room. You know everything about us and what we need and what we think we need and don't need. We, we, we lift it all to you. And just pray today, God, that you would work in our lives. We, we lift up Rita to you, Father, and I just pray for Rita Foster that you would be with her in the hospital, that, God, you would be merciful to her. I pray, Father, for Ronnie and that you would give him strength and their family in these days. It's hard to see someone we love battle with cancer. So we lift her to you. We lift others in this room who are struggling. I wonder if it's just for a moment as I've been praying that you would just lift up your heart to God.
whatever may be there, just lift it to him. Lord, you know our hearts. You, you hear the words coming from our minds. I just pray that you would bless this time in your word. Thank you for the music we've sung. Thank you for the gifting of each person here that's led us. And the ability to put it all together. Thank you for that. Help us now, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to James. In James chapter 4, we're making our way through this book, and we've come to the fourth chapter. And we'll look at the first three chapters today, first three verses today, excuse me. James 4, verses 1 through 3. I was just thinking when we started the contemporary service, um, Dallas was one of the first ones that helped lead it with Kim, and you know, so it's good to see full circle. You know. How many of you were here when we first started the contemporary service? I'm interested to raise your hand. Raise them high. Not a lot of you. Um, that's why we started the service, um, to reach so many of you who are here. And um, so we're glad that you're here and we welcome you. If, you. if you're able, I would ask you to stand in the honor of the reading and the preaching of God's word. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. James asks, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. We'll continue that in the next days. I read it all last week, but... Um, you know, when you're studying the Word of God, one of the things that you have to learn to do is, is to look for words or phrases or thoughts that are repeated, ideas that the, that the writer um, of Scripture stresses as he's writing the letter that we're reading. Um, I'll give you an example. If you look in chapter 1, verse 18, verse 21, verse 22, and verse 25. Chapter 1, 18, 21, 22, and 25, you find these words. You find the word of truth, the implanted word. We find the command to be doers of the word, to be hearers of the word. And then he talks about the perfect law and the law of liberty. And so right there in that short section, James is talking about the word of God and and he's stressing that, and he's showing us how we obey that and how we apply that in our life. It's, it's a strain that, that he begins to develop that we've got to pay attention to as we're studying the Scripture. We, we see it just shortly in chapter 2. If you look at verses 14 and 16, he, he asks the question, what good is it, my brothers? And then he comes back in verse 16, and he says, well, what good is that? 
And what he's showing you is, is he's continuing this thought. What good is it? What good is that? If you look in chapter 3 in the text we looked at last week, he, he's told us to be slow to speak and to bridle the tongue in chapter 1, chapter 2. And he, and he asks a question. If you, if you look in the text in, in verse 13, he says, who is wise and understanding among you? And, and I'm just, when you look at that, you just see those little words, among you. And he's talking about among the, the body of Christ. And and he goes on to develop two ideas of wisdom, and we saw that last week. He shows us earthly wisdom, wisdom from below. He tells us that it leads to bitter jealousy, and, and it leads to, to, to personal ambition and strife and, and, and selfish ambition. He talks about worldly wisdom, but he also talks about wisdom from above. And he says that wisdom is, is a wisdom that leads to a harvest of righteousness, and that harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who, who make peace. And so he, he, all, he starts that with, who is wise and understanding among you? In our text today, he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? And so it's the same discussion. He's showing us worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And now he's going to show us how that's lived out if we as a church allow worldly wisdom to go unchecked. If we don't make sure that we balance everything that we say and do as the body of Christ with the Word of God, if we don't make sure that, that spiritual wisdom is directing us in what we do, He's going to show us how that comes out, what happens. He, he asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He's showing us why peacemakers are needed. He's, he's showing us what happens if worldly wisdom goes unchecked in the church. Now, I always try to give credit when I use other people's stuff. You know, there's really not original thoughts. Um, uh, it's the truth of the matter is preachers study and read, and we all read. Teachers study and read. But one of the things I try to do is if I copy someone um, just straight out um, with their outline, I give them credit. I'm not preaching their sermon. But I was studying a couple of weeks ago in this text, and I came across a sermon by Ray Pritchett. And Ray, I've quoted him a few times. Ray was here a couple of years, several years ago, and he preached in a revival setting. But, but Ray had a three-point outline of these three verses that, that was so good that I thought to myself, I just can't get any better than that. And instead of you thinking, wow, that's really good, I want you to know it's not for me, okay? Um, those three points are Ray Pritchard's points. The rest of it, the sermon's mine, okay? But, but the three points I, I got from him, I just thought the way he did it was really good. So let me just give him credit. And let's just look at the first thing. When you look at verse four and you see it there, verse one, excuse me, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The first thing you notice is the war within. The war within. There is a war that every one of us are fighting. You're born into the war. There is clear lines of demarcation. There, there's, there's God and there's Satan, and you were born into this battle. Whether you sign up or get drafted, the truth of the matter is you're in the battle the moment you're born. And we have to come to, 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 to 
just accept that and understand that this is the battle. And there's this battle within. And he says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? If, if you look at that verse, the, the word for fights there is, is really not strong enough. Fights is a pretty strong word, but, but it's not strong enough. It's really wars. What causes the quarrels and what causes the wars among you? Is it not this? He answers it. That your passions are at war within you? It's the battle within that word passion is, is a lot like the word temptation or the word testing. It's a morally neutral word. In other words, it's, it's testing can be good and testing can be bad. It all depends on how we, how we respond to the test. The same is true of the word passion. Now, we almost always think of passion. Now, we, we think of passion in terms of music or we think of passion in terms of artistic abilities or passion in terms of athletic abilities. And we say, man, she really plays with passion or, or, or you can just feel the passion in, the, in, their, in, in their work. You, we, we use it that way. But, but most of the time when we think of passion, we're, we're thinking about passion in terms of a sinful desire. And what's interesting is, is the Greek word for, for passion here is the word from which we get our English word hedonism. So it kind of gives you an idea of where hedonism comes from. Okay? It gives you an idea of, of that desire for pleasure, which is not wrong. Sometimes I think pastors have presented an idea that somehow a desire for pleasure is wrong. The desire for pleasure is not sin. It's not wrong to want pleasure. God made you to seek after pleasure. But the problem is that the desire for pleasure is not wrong unless you're desiring pleasure apart from God. When you get outside of God's parameters and begin to try to fulfill your own desire, that's hedonism, that's desire that leads to sin and it leads to war within you. You see, God created us to seek pleasure, but he created us to seek pleasure in him and in his gifts. And what the enemy does, and we'll develop this more in a moment, but the enemy twists what God has given to us he twists it, trying to get us to seek it outside of him and outside of his word. Really, the heart of every battle we fight is self versus self. The heavyweight battle of every fight card is self versus self. It's the battle within that you're fighting to live the life that God's called you to live or to live according to what the enemy's trying to get you to do. Desire left unchecked and the war within will never stay within. Hear that again. Desire left unchecked and the war within will never stay within. What am I talking about? Well, let me just kind of put it in these words. There's, there's somewhere along the line that we begin to listen to the voice. Now, what I've discovered is the voice rarely says to me, you are this. It says, I am. 
Satan almost always speaks in the first person. He, he almost always says, I'm filthy or I'm a sinner. He, he's always accusatory in the way he speaks to me. But, but he, he's, he's, he's a trickster. He comes at us. He comes at us and we begin to feel underappreciated. We just don't feel like we've been thanked or praised. And then as we do something, maybe with good motives, and someone else doesn't thank us, we begin to think, he didn't thank me. He doesn't appreciate me. No one appreciates me for what I do. And we begin to listen to that voice and it begins to move in our mind where we start thinking, I deserve more than this. And not only that, not only do I deserve more, but old Jimmy deserves less. Okay? Not really Jimmy, I'm just using you as an example. You sit right there, you're, just, you're, you're right there for the, for the example. Not only do I, do I not get what I deserve, I deserve more, he deserves less. Starts with that little voice. And here's what I've learned. If you don't learn to recognize that voice for what it is and start the battle right there, that voice will grow to a shout. And I don't know if you've ever sat down with somebody who's become so obsessed with self that they are obsessed with the desire to get what they deserve and that voice is shouting so loud, you can't reason with them. Because they are convinced that they've not been appreciated. That they've not been thanked. And maybe they weren't thanked. And maybe they weren't appreciated. But that voice from the enemy begins to move. And here's the thing. Ray Pritchard said it this way. Passions unmet make us miserable. Passions unmet. Graphic illustration, you ever try to keep a dog in heat in a cage? Passions unmet make us miserable. I don't know where that illustration came from. It wasn't in my notes, but there it is. It's right there. Keith said it's a good one, but I may pay for it. Um, passions unmet make us miserable. And we become like that dog. Nothing will satisfy It could be money. Got to have more. It could be houses. It could be cars. It could be spouses. She doesn't meet my needs, so I'm going to find somebody else. Or he doesn't do what I think he should do, so I'm going to find someone else. We, 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 we get miserable. We, we feel like we're being mistreated. We feel like we deserve more. We feel like we're being robbed. And it drives us crazy. It's the battle within that every one of us fight. And James talks about that. What causes quarrels? What causes wars among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? But then he says there's a second thing about the battle. It's the battle within. It's the battle without. I told you that those passions never stay within. 
if we don't learn to fight the battle, if we don't learn to count it all joy when we're, when we're, when we're persecuted, if we don't learn to, to thank the Lord when we're reviled, if we don't learn to do that, if we don't learn to not listen to that voice, that battle within comes to a battle without. Look what he says. You desire and you don't have. So you murder. You covet. You cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. Now the shock of this is, is the word murder. James has been talking to brothers and sisters implied all the way through this text. He's, he's saying, what, you know, what causes it among you? He's talking about the body of Christ. Is there murder happening in the early church among the body of Christ? There are some people who actually think that maybe there was actual murder that was going in here. And here's the reasoning. Jesus, if you think of his disciples, he, he, one of his disciples was a zealot. And the zealots were, were a pretty nasty bunch. And they were dedicated to getting rid of Rome by all means. And they carried daggers to get rid of Roman soldiers one by one if they could. And so they said, maybe, maybe some of that zealot mentality was taken over. And I just, I don't see that. I just mention it because some people mention it, but, but I just can't see. James is talking to the body of Christ here, and I can't see that he just casually says, so you murder, and he goes on. Michelle C. is, is the church clerk in our church. She, she keeps the notes in our business meetings, and, and so I, we got a business meeting coming up in, in, on Wednesday in August, and, and, and I could just, can you imagine, uh, just picture this. Michelle stands up, and she just casually begins to read the church minutes, and, and then she says, and, um, and, and Keith and Jimmy got into it, and, and Keith killed Jimmy in the business meeting, and, and then we went on to the second motion. It's just not going to be that casual. James would have dealt with the sin of murder. So what's he doing here? When he says, so you, you don't have, so you murder, what's he talking about? James is doing what he's been doing all the way through this book. He's taking us back to the teachings of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount. And you got to remember, this is the earliest book that's written in the New Testament. And so these people, many of these people may have been there for the Sermon on the Mount, but they all were familiar with the teachings of Jesus at this moment. And what does Jesus teach? And in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 22, he, he says, you have heard that it said you shall not murder. Okay. But then he says, but I say to you, anyone that, excuse me, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What Jesus is doing is what he does all the way through his sermon. He's, he's saying, here's the letter of the law. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Here's the letter, but let me show you the spirit of the law. And what he says is, it's not enough just to say, I've never killed someone. He says, if you've been angry in your heart, you're guilty of murder. It's not enough to say, I've never committed adultery. If you've lusted after someone, you've committed adultery. And so Jesus is taking it to the spiritual part of this. And I think what he's showing us is, is that that if you go back to the heart of the person who killed, that person's 
anger and grudge led them to a point that they took someone else's life. And he's saying, that's what happens. That's what causes the quarrels and the battles among you. And every battle and every quarrel is coming from our passions where we feel like our desires aren't being met. And so we lash out against someone. The desires of the world, the the worldly wisdom that James talked about last week, urges us to, to give in to our desires no matter what they are. But Jesus tells us that we have to take our desires and deal with them severely. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. In another gospel, if your right foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Now, the truth of the matter is if if we plucked out our eye every time we lusted, we'd just be rocking around blind and lusting. It's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, though, deal with your sin as severely as this. Don't hang on to it. Don't play with it. Don't excuse it. Don't act like it's not a big deal. Because when you don't deal with those things, they lead you to lash out. They lead you to go against what God has called you to do. Sin cannot be hung on to. And sin cannot be excused. It's dangerous. That's what Jesus is teaching us. It's what James is teaching us. There's a lot of passages of Scripture, and I can show you this, the battle we fight, but let me just take you to 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We don't fight like the world fights. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. He goes on to say, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. We take every thought captive. We punish every disobedience. We take sin seriously. You you can find the same train of thought in 1 Timothy 1, 18. 2 Timothy 2, verse 4. 1 Peter 2, verse 11, but especially in Ephesians chapter 6, where he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we fight against the principalities of this world. And he tells us how to put on our spiritual armor. It's a, it's a battle that we're fighting, and it rages inside of us, and it rages outside of us, and the enemy isn't flesh and blood. It's the same enemy that we fight that, James was fighting, that Jesus was fighting, that every time the people of God have been fighting. We fight an enemy that opposes God. We're fighting an enemy that opposes the church. We fight an enemy that opposes everything that is holy. If you want to know why our culture has changed the way our culture has changed, it is passion unmet. It is passion trying to be met outside of God. And that's true in the church and it's true outside the church. When we allow our fleshly desires to rule our minds and to rule our lives, the enemy would stop at nothing to make you think it's all about what you deserve. It's what I deserve. No, it's not. It's not. R. Kent Hughes... And this unbelievable statement, listen to it. 
I'll repeat it. Listen. Pleasure-seeking Christians are walking civil wars whose lust for pleasure brings fighting to the church and even to the world. Pleasure-seeking Christians, those who seek pleasure outside of God, pleasure-seeking Christians are walking civil wars whose lust for pleasure brings fighting to the church and even to the world. There's a war within us. There's a war without. We desire, we don't have. We covet, we can't obtain. We quarrel, we fight, we murder. We murder spiritually. And if left unchecked, we'll murder physically. Don't think that you're not capable of that. Except for God's grace, any of us are capable of that. We have to understand that God moves. We, we need to see the need for the battle. We, we have to see the need to fight in the spirit. We have to see the need to fight against the things of the flesh. We start, like James tells us, in the mind with the tongue, with the words, and then we go area by area of our life until we lay the ax to the root of every sin. There's a war within, there's a war without, and James says there's a war above. There's a war above. At the end of the verse, he says, you don't have because you don't ask. And then he goes on, verse 3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. I grew up, you ask amiss to spend it on your passions. There's two groups of people James talks about. There's the person who is totally reliant on themselves. They don't ask. I've said this before, and I'll just remind you of this. The, the single greatest sign of overconfidence in your flesh is a prayerless life. If you live your life without prayer, you're just walking ego. Because you think you can do it without God. We have to understand that we come to this place where, where there's a point of our life we don't have because we don't ask. We, we don't even think it necessary to ask. There's a war above and we're, we're losing it because we're not in tune with the king of kings. I'm reading a book with a group of guys. Um, interesting, I'm reading it. Paul Miller is one of the ones I'm reading with and it's written by Paul Miller. Not this Paul Miller, but Paul E. Miller. It's called A Praying Life. If you want to read a great book, I, I encourage you to read It's Practical How You Pray, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Okay? Listen to what he says. Self-will and prayer are both ways of getting things done. Look at that. Self-will and prayer are both ways of getting things done. At the center of self-will is me. Carving out a world in my image. <clears throat> Excuse me. But at the center of prayer is God. Carving out the world in his image. Or let me say it differently. At the center of prayerlessness, center of self-will, is me carving out a world in my image. But at the center of prayer is God carving me carving us into a son's image. The reason for prayerlessness is not a lack of knowledge or a lack of time. It's, it's a life centered on self. 
when, when self is on the throne, there's no need to pray because you're just doing what you want to do anyway. Our prayer life reveals our heart. Prayerlessness reveals our heart. If our heart is centered on flesh, if our heart is centered on the passions of the flesh, and if we're indulging those passions, we don't even think to ask God for the things we want. It doesn't even occur to us. We live in a culture that's going so well, we don't even long for heaven. Going too good right now. I don't want to lose this, people think. Driving desire left unchecked will always be the ruin of our prayer life. Driving desire left unchecked will always be the ruin of our prayer life because we're on the throne and we find no need to pray. Or, if we're honest, we know deep down what we're asking for is not God's will. And rather than change, we just keep living outside of God's will. You have not because you don't ask. But then James speaks to a second group here. He moves to those who do ask, but they ask with the wrong motives. The first group prays, they don't pray. The second group prays with wrong motives. They don't ask for the glory of God. They're asking for the glory of self. Two dangers, according to James. One is not asking at all. But the second danger in prayer is asking with selfish ambition. What we have to learn to do is ask according to the word of God. Ask according to God's will that has been given to us. Jesus shows us the perfect balance. You remember in the garden? He gets to that point. The cross is right around the corner. And what does Jesus say? He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't just say that. He meant that. He didn't want to go through what he was about to have to go through. Spiritually and physically, he was about to endure more than we could ever imagine, especially spiritually. And he prays, Father, if there's another way, let this cup pass. Do you remember what he said? If there's another way, let this cup pass. But not my will, but yours be done. There's the balance. There's the balance between seeking after God and pouring out your desire, but letting God's desire overwhelm your desire. The battle is self versus self. The enemy never gives up. And you and I will have to continue to fight until we're glorified. We'll fight this fight. But get this, he, he never delivers on what he promises the enemy. He never delivers on what he promises. Stephen Cole said, Satan often offers immediate pleasure, but he delivers long-term pain. He promises immediate pleasure, but delivers long-term pain. That's true of any pleasure apart from God. It'll be fun for a season, but it'll catch you and keep you down for a length of time. So what's the hope? Are we left with a desireless life? Are we left with a passionless life, a pleasureless life? No, no, no. God's the author of pleasure. 
We've let the world put God in some kind of box that he's not a God of pleasure. He's the God of pleasure. You make known to me. Listen to these verses. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Who's at the right hand of God? Jesus and the psalmist said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Or how about this? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes his refuge in you. Or a few chapters later, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He said, well, I'm not getting my desires because sometimes our desires are wrong. And God's not going to give you desire that goes outside of him because he knows what brings you pleasure. He's not going to give you the desire outside of his will for your life any more than I'm going to give my three-year-old grandson a pistol to play with. Just not going to do it. Not going to do it. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of different books. One of the... One of the... The most amazing books that he writes is, is a little fictional book called Screwtape Letters. In it, he, he writes from the perspective of the enemy. He, he writes a series of letters from a senior demon to a junior demon named Wormwood. Okay, great name for a demon, Wormwood. And so you think about it. And in that book, he's writing back and forth, and he's trying to keep belie- people from becoming believers. And then if they become believers, like in one case, Wormwood lost one of them, he tries to show Wormwood how to keep that person from living the abundant life. And I won't read it all to you. I'm not even going to read much. I'm just going to give you one quote in a moment. But, but what he does is, is, is there's a point where the senior devil is, is, is writing to Wormwood, and he reminds them what we need to be reminded of here. God made pleasure. God made pleasure. And the devil has never been able to produce one single satisfying form of pleasure. He said, no, wait a minute. No, no. He has not produced one single soul-satisfying pleasure. He's twisted God's pleasure. He's brought it outside of God's will. And he's offered people happiness for a moment. But he's wrecked their lives. Satan twists. Satan distorts. Satan does everything he can to masquerade as the author of pleasure. But it is God who brought pleasure to this world. There's a line in in that book where the demon's writing to Wormwood. And he says this. The devil seeks to offer, listen to this, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Satan offers an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. He said, what are you talking about? young lady grew up in our church. Before I came here, she was everything, everything that you're supposed to be in high school and in church. She was active. She went to college. This is her story to me. She went to college. 
she started drinking, she started partying, she started doing those things, and that led to meth. When I met her, she was coming out of it. But she shared something with me that shows what I'm talking about, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. She said, John, when I took the first hit of meth, it was like anything, unlike anything I've ever experienced. She said, I thought better. I had more energy. I had more abilities. I was able to do things that I could never do before. She said, it was incredible. My brain was like, it was better than it's ever been. She said, but here's the problem. I was never able to get that high again. You wonder why meth heads keep doing it because they keep trying to get the first high. They can't get the first high. Whatever it does to their brain the first time does it, and they're never able to get the second one. And so she sat down and told me the story after story after story of what she became because she was trying to get an ever-increasing craving for a diminishing pleasure. She lost everything. Stole from family, was homeless, all this, until finally, like the prodigal son, she came back to God. That's what Satan will do to us with any sin. He will give us the moment, but it will never satisfy us. It's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure until you taste and see that God is good. I wonder, I wonder if just for a moment, Matt's got a lot of IT abilities. I don't think he has this ability. If he does, I don't want to find out. But what if we could hook the hard drive up to our minds for a second? And let's just throw our desires up on the screen. Oh, what they show? Do our desires come out of worldly wisdom from below or heavenly wisdom from above? What do our desires show? What, what if we could just see the center of our desire? What is it? I would just ask you just for a moment to consider a couple of things. How about your eyes? Your eyes look toward what you desire. Have you looked at things that you shouldn't have looked at this week? If, if we could put your browser history up on the screen right now, would you be embarrassed? Have you looked at things that you, you shouldn't have seen? Have you placed your eyes where, where they shouldn't have been this week? Have you, have you looked toward, not, not just the, the pornographic, I, I'm not, that's terrible, but, but I'm saying, have you looked toward something outside of God for satisfaction? What about your ears? Are, are you listening to that gossip? Are you listening to that slander? Are you, are you listening to things that are not appropriate for the, for the child of God? Have you, have you become so accustomed to words that they used to make you blush that you don't even think about them anymore? I watched an episode of a show not long ago. Kim wasn't there, and I just I watched the episode, and when I finished, I thought, how many times did they use the F word in that? And I sat there, and I listened to it, and I said, I won't do it again. I used to blush at those things. Has the enemy taken our eyes and our ears and, 
And God is so accustomed to sin that and we think nothing of it. What about our lips? Do we, do we gossip with them? Do we slander with them? Do we cuss with them? Or do we pray with them and sing with them and worship the Lord with them? What about our hands? Our hands, are they used for the glory of God? Are they working for the kingdom of God? Or are they working for our own kingdom? Our feet, are, how beautiful are the feet of those who, who bring good news? Are we bringing the good news with our feet? Are we doing the things that God's called us to do with obedience? What about the rest of our body? What about our hearts? What about our knees? What about those most intimate parts that I wouldn't mention in the mixed crowd? Are they, are they being used for your own personal desire or for the glory of God? Jonathan Edwards said a Christian is someone who places holy living above everything else. Why? It's simple. When you see the beauty of Jesus, everything else pales. Nothing compares to Christ. When you open the word and see what he's done, listen to what he says and see who he is and you pray and you seek him and know that he is a holy, holy God and yet he still loves us even when we've sinned like we've sinned. Who's more beautiful than he is? When we see that, our desires change. I want to ask you, if you would, to bow your heads for a moment. This is not to shame you. I, I, I care nothing about shaming you. The enemy shames. God convicts, and there's a difference. God shows you your sin. The enemy calls you filthy. It's not God. But God hates sin. He loves you, but he hates sin. He hates what it does in our life. And, and I just wonder if, if we could just close as, as Kim and the guys come and they, they're going to play and maybe in just a moment they'll sing. But I wonder rather than you singing with them, if, if rather you just let them Lead us in worship, and, and you use this time to check your desires. God gave us sex. He gave us those kind of things. Satan's just twisted it. God gave us desire. He gave us pleasure. He gave us happiness and joy. He gives us those things in him, in him. And so if you're seeking it outside of him, then it'd be a good time to repent. Turn away. And if somehow you've got some victory in some areas, it's a good time to thank him for those victories. But don't follow after an ever-diminishing thing. Seek after the one who gets better and better and better the more you know him. Father, I just ask that you speak to us now. I really don't know if we should stand and sing or just sit and pray. But I do know that I want us, myself included, to search our hearts. And so God, as Kim and the guys play, would we just use this time
to kneel, to stand, to sit, to do whatever it is for the next few moments and just have a desire check. And here's my prayer, Lord. I prayed this many times in my life and over your church, and I just pray that we would pray this prayer. Maybe, maybe you don't have a desire for God, church. Maybe you're sitting here today, you say, I just don't have that desire. Would you just confess that before God, that you don't have the desire, and ask him to give you a desire to desire? Could you just ask him for a desire to desire him? And if he does that, start moving in that. Just start moving toward desire to taste and see that he's good. God, just give us a desire. Work in us and help us to work it out, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You just keep your heads bowed for a while. Let Kim and the guys lead us. Maybe you'll stand and sing in a moment. I I just want you to, to not get caught up in anything but the desire of your heart to let God be that desire. And if he's not, to take the steps that are needed. You do what God's called you to do. I can help you. I'm at the front.
Let me close by just telling you this. I'm, for years when I heard, behold God, I thought I had to have those kind of visions like, like Moses had where God appeared in the fire. And I thought that, that if I didn't see him with my physical eyes, I didn't behold him. But I want you to know that may happen in your life, but it's, it's a rare thing. But what is real is when you open the Word of God and you see Him for who He is. You read the Word and you behold Him. You, it's a living Word. You, you behold how He loves. You behold that He's holy. You, you behold His goodness. You behold His steadfastness. And as you read the Word, you behold who He is. It's not that, that you have visions or not have visions. It's that every one of us open this word and we hear and we see him for who he is. And it changes us. It changes who we are. We don't have to have statues. We don't have to have idols. We've got the word of God that's living and active. And he's revealed himself to us. So behold him this week. Get along with him. Be with him. Be with his spirit. Be with him. It's good to have the Zygers here. Phil and Joanna are here, and um, got a um, Alice. Um, she must she downstairs somewhere. She's out, but new baby on the way, and we celebrate that with them. We've been praying for them as they are over in the other part of the world and doing missions. And so let's continue to pray for them. But just they're over here in the corner. If you've been praying for them, let them know how much you appreciate them. They're here just for a short period of time. So thank you for being here. Our ushers will be at the door. We encourage you to give as God has given to you, and then we also encourage you to love on one another. And let me just encourage you with one thing. I'm not getting on to you. But don't get so caught up in those chairs that you ignore the person around you. Yeah. Chairs are important. We really don't want to have to put them all up. But take some time to say hello to the person around you, to greet them, to get to know them a little bit, and then put the chairs up. Chairs can take time. So just do that. But make sure you greet one another. Guests, I'll be right over here. I'd love to talk to you if you need to come and see me or just introduce yourself. I'd love to see you. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you.